Welcome to a brand new episode of Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. Today's episode is brought to you by BestFightPicks.com. Go to BestFightPicks.com, type your email in that top right corner, and get the best fight picks and podcast delivered to your inbox every single fight week. Joining me on this very special edition of Half the Battle is the former RFA welterweight champion. I'm talking about Mike Biggie Rhodes. Mike, welcome to Half the Battle, man. Thank you for having me, man. What's up? Hey, man. Doing great. So, you know, you're born in uh, Waterloo, Iowa. And I got to know, man, you know, a lot of people, they tell me that there's not much to do in Iowa except cornfields and fistfights. Is that accurate at all? Uh, I think that, you know, they're over-exaggerating a little bit. There's some things to do other than that. But, yeah, everyone born here, man, we're bred off that corn. Uh, you know, we're either wrestlers or football players, and that comes with a lot of testosterone. So that always comes down to some uh, pretty good fist fights growing up. So um, that's just something that we grew up with. Yeah, man. And for the record, the people that told me that were from Iowa, okay? I just had to throw that out there. <laughs> so, uh, you know... Do you have a? Did you get into a lot of fights growing up before you became a fighter? Yeah, um, that's just something that, like you said, man, the people who told you that they're they're, you know, giving you it, giving it to you straight. Um, that's the honest truth. We do fight a lot here. Um, it's just that testosterone, man. We're you know we're we are in the middle of cornfields. We're all about sports, and uh, you know we're hard nosed Midwest people. So um, it's all about you know willingness to throw down and show how tough you are and. You know, you have to do that growing up. So um, that's just something I grew up doing for sure. Yeah, man. And on that topic, can you reveal an exclusive Mike Biggie Rhodes fight from back in the day before you became a pro fighter that gets paid to fight? Uh, I think one of the ones that sticks out the most to me is like when we were young and uh, I was actually in like elementary school. So I was like fifth grade and uh I got in a fight with the kid over some Pokemon cards. He had stole my Pokemon cards or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, I socked him in the eye. And uh, I ended up not being able to walk across the stage for a uh, fifth grade graduation, you know. And so that one sticks out. Like some of my buddies who follow me on Twitter who have been friends of mine, um, they like to always bring that one up as just, you know, something that's just more funny than anything, um, fighting people over Pokemon cards and stuff like that. So, um, that's one of them, but um, every one of my best friends, people that I call my best friends um, growing up, I had full court basketball in my backyard, so one hoop was on the garage. We had a rollaway hoop. It was probably only about 10 feet between them, but we thought we had a full basketball court, and every day someone would get into a fight, and so I've probably fought my best friends at least 10 times, and you know that's how we settle things. We fight, we shake hands, and then uh, we go about our day. Yeah, man, and you know, it's funny, you and I actually have something in common, because I wasn't allowed to walk at my 8th grade graduation, you know, for different reasons, but that that's cool to find out, man, now, so, <laughs> you know, so you uh, you go 4-0 and to start your pro career, right, and then you make your RFA debut, and you basically do a favor for them by taking on Brandon Thatch in Colorado, but the interesting thing about this is that it turned out to be a common theme in your career, where you'd go and take on the hometown guy in his hometown. So just talk about that real quick. Um, yeah, you know, I was 4-0, young in my career. I took that fight on short notice when fought the hometown kid. Um, that just due to the confidence I have in myself and my abilities and how I train. Um, I'm never one to turn down a fight. If I feel like I can make weight, and you know, which I did on eight days notice, you know, um, if I feel like I can make the weight and I've been training, um, I don't see why not. You know, I don't care about fighting in someone's hometown that – that really doesn't matter to me. Um, you know, it's nice to travel anyway, you know, and get to go some of these places and fight. So, yeah, I stepped up. 
helped them, looked out for them, and then they looked out for me in return. And, you know, it turned out to be um, something that was very, very beneficial for my career. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the fact that they looked out for you. And then in your very next fight, you rebounded with a 56-second TKO victory. And you get that title shot against Alan Juban. And we all know Alan Juban. He's in the UFC doing big things now. And you go out there and you defeat him by unanimous decision to become the RFA welterweight champion. So just talk about that moment real quick, Mike. Um, You know, I just feel like um, the title wasn't that big of a deal to me. Um to be honest with you, um, you know, I had to fight five rounds for, you know, a little bit amount, a little amount of money, you know, that UFC title is the only one that comes with the big money. So um, I just knew that winning that RFA title would be the next step to get to the UFC. So I took that opportunity. But for me, it wasn't about the title. It was about the step that I would take after winning that fight. Um, but that was a good moment. You know, Allen had a pretty big name. Um, you know, he's talking some trash before the fight. He was mad. I called him a male model and all that stuff. But, um, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't shut me up in the cage. You know, I shut him out. You know, I don't think he won around. Um, I outclassed him and I beat him up, um, in Des Moines, Iowa. I had some friends and family there and, you know, I put on a show and put on a clinic for those guys to show my striking, show my wrestling, show some jujitsu defense and offense in that fight. So, um, I got to show my overall game in that fight and, uh, I was pretty proud of my performance. Yeah, man. And like you mentioned, you know, you try to take that next step and that's exactly what happened. Then you got the call to fight in the big show. So what was it like getting that call up? Um, it was something that I expected, man. You know, I trained hard. I fought good. I fought good competition. I've always fought guys that were, um, you know, worthy. I, I never fought any cans. You know, I fought tough fights and, um, you know, the UFC took notice of that. And then I stepped up on short notice for them as well. Um, took the opportunity that was given to me. I wasn't able to take uh, full advantage of that as far as winning um, in my stint in the UFC. But I fought some uh, really tough guys. I fought some, uh, you know, some guys who were at the top of the sport when I was very, very new. So um, that was just a learning experience. And now I'm uh, back to, uh, you know, work my way back there and then show that um, I can put that experience to use and um, start to build my name and my career yeah. again. Yeah, for sure. And we know that you're going to get back to the big show. It's just a matter of time. And, you know, all the lessons that you did learn in your first run, now you're putting it into action. But you make your UFC debut. And, you know, we all know you're a great striker. But in the first round, you go out there and you suplex George Sullivan. And, uh, you know, it didn't really look like the infamous uh, UFC jitters got to you at all. You were real calm, cool, and collected. So, I mean, do you just have a great poker face? Or was it a matter of preparation meeting opportunity? Because I thought you won that fight. Yeah, I thought I won the fight too. He threw a lot, but he didn't actually land a lot. Um, I think he got the win purely due on aggression, but um, I had half a gas tank, man. I caught, I cut 36 pounds in 11 days for that fight. Um, I was dying just to make it on the scale, but you know, I went in there and fought, but um, I put on the best performance I could given the situation. And, uh, you know, um, like I said, just a learning experience, you know, learning how to fight um, when I'm not comfortable and, um, jitters and stuff like that don't really get to me that's not a big thing that um plays a role in my game so um i do have a good poker face though but most of the time i'm smiling so you can't tell what's going on but um i was just enjoying the moment and i just was uh you know living in that moment and took that fight and uh did the best i could yeah and it was a good performance in my opinion you know you can make an argument that you won at 30 27 but for sure rounds two and three were yours i mean i literally just watched that fight today you know when i watched it live 
I thought that you won, but you know, sometimes you gotta go back and rewatch a fight, you might get a different opinion, but I still think you won the fight, man. Now, anyway, speaking of that first round suplex that you landed on him, you also displayed some very good takedown defense throughout that fight. So just talk about what it's like uh, training your wrestling with studs like the U.S. Olympian Ben Askren and most recently Tyron Woodley. Yeah, um, you know, we train with Ben Askren. We have some other really good wrestlers at our um, gym, you know, a bunch of um, D2, uh, D3, NAIA national champions and you know, some guys that have some really good, uh, you know, high school careers that might have chose to do other things. So um, training with Ben all the time is just a full amount of confidence as far as, you know, if I can stuff one of his, I can stuff 10 of anybody else's is my mindset. Um, like you said, we just had Tyron Woodley up. And uh, I believe if you ask him, he'll tell you that I have some of the best wrestling defense out there. You know, um, it's something that I grew up wrestling. Like I said, I'm from Iowa. My whole family is full of wrestlers. Um, my best, one of my best friends, somebody that I, um, you know, consider like a little brother to me, um, Kyvin Gatson just won the national championship for Iowa state. So I've been around wrestlers my whole life and I have that mentality of a wrestler. So, um, I think that helps me overall in my wrestling offense and defense. And we always have a, you know, coach Messenbrink who coaches Ben, he helps out Ben's brother, Max comes in and wrestles with us. So, um, there's never a shortage of, uh, you know, talented wrestlers that, um, come and help us out, and I think that's just been my maturation process um, to being a good uh, defensive wrestler as well. Absolutely, and speaking of T-Wood, you and him have some pretty slick dance moves. I see y'all, man, so, uh, you know, if you, if you <laughs> knock this guy out, are you going to go out there and do that dance or what? Uh, no, one of my teammates, actually, JP uh, from Virginia, he just won via knockout, and he hit the uh, Quan in his dance, I mean, in his fight. Uh <laughs> I'm going to knock this kid out, do my, you know, just whatever raw emotion flows through me. That's normally what I do. And then, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty respectful in there, so I won't hit any dance moves on him or anything like that. Um, I might just have to do a couple flips or something and show these people who are ranting about Sage Northcutt that I'm 200-something pounds and I can do all the flips he's doing. So get that gymnastic routine out of here. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So, uh, one more thing about the George Sullivan fight. You showed some really cool striking techniques where you would grab his wrist and kind of jam the lead hand, and then you'd throw your uh, straight cross. And those are some very beautiful striking techniques that not a lot of people, you know, know about. They don't notice the nuances that are going on. So, I want to talk to you, man. Is that from Duke Rufus? Is that from, you know, before you started training with him? Just, just give me a little insight to that, you know, high-level striking. Um, a lot of that comes from Duke. Um, I'm a real cerebral fighter, so I'm not like those meatheads that just go, go, go. Um, I like to think a lot in my fights, and uh, I'm really, really long and rangy, and so I'm also a counterfighter. So um, hand play, which is like you know the grappling of stand-up, which as far as clinch work and stuff like that, um, that that's a big part of my game. So um, you know I'm able to use use their hands against them and, and keep myself in a good position to be able to strike and things like that. So um, that's just a, a big part of my game that I was able to show in that fight um, because of the style of fighter that George was. Um, and that's something that I feel like I'm really, really good at, actually. So I'm glad that you noticed that. A lot of people wouldn't even pick that up. But, yeah, the hand play and, and stuff like that uh, to manipulate your opponent is a big part of my fight style. Yeah, well, you do train with Duke Rufus, like you mentioned. And my coach, 
Captain Gary Brown. You know, he actually coached Duke's brother, Rick, back when he took on Rob Kamen and, you know, in a few of his other oh. championship fights. So I'm somewhat familiar, you know, with that type, with the parrying and, you know, that style of striking. So, you know, but the thing with Duke Rufus is that, you know, you guys uh, took the meat and potatoes of that style, but then you added a flash to it. So just talk about how, you know, guys like yourself, guys like Anthony Pettis, guys like Sergio are taking that striking to that next level. Um, I think that comes from our side. Um, also, you know, we Duke, he did karate. He did some sport taekwondo as far as uh, Muay Thai as well. And then uh, me, Sergio, um, Eric, Coke, and those guys, we come from a, a martial arts background. Um, we all did taekwondo growing up. I actually uh, just um, started my own taekwondo school. I'm part owner of my own school. And so I've always had that flash that comes with taekwondo, you know. So we kind of blended those two styles together. We used the power and the that mean style of Muay Thai. And we add that with the flash and speed of um, some of our uh, Taekwondo techniques. And it's just been um, becoming a really awesome blend of techniques that Duke's helping us to sharpen and, and be able to use in fights comfortably. Yeah. You guys literally changed the striking game with that new hybrid style. You know, it's the basics mixed with some flash and swag. And, um, you know, I gotta know, man, because obviously, you know, the showtime kick that was revolutionary. Now was that, is that just Anthony or is that something that Duke has, you know, taught you guys over time? Um, actually I was just, uh, I wasn't even here at Rufus sport yet when that, when, when Anthony did that kick, um, so I don't know the background behind that, but I know Anthony and Duke, you know, their mindsets are just so free. Um, so no technique is off limit for us. So we start to do things and if it works, then, you know, you know, we just put it into our game and Duke is not one to tell us not to do something. Um, he shows us how to make it work if we want to use something. So, um, it's always a time and place for any strike in martial arts. And, uh, you know, I know Anthony trained that move. He still trains that move. If he sets it up, you know, he'll use it and, you know, we just let our minds free and we flow in practice because we're not trying to kill each other. So we're able to try new things out and some things work and you use them and some things don't work and you get rid of them. So um, that's just a part, a part of the maturation process at Rufus Sport. Yeah, man. So you guys really keep an open mind and, you know, you're you're down to just try new things all the time. Now, I, I got to know, man, what do you think of these next generation strikers, you know, that are outside your gym? Guys like Conor McGregor. What do you think about the way he strikes? Um, if you watch the way Connor strikes, man, it's really uh, efficient. He's not a guy that pushes his punches. He's not a guy who tries to hit hard. Um, he uses the natural, um, you know, the natural swing of his arm to um, generate all that pop. He's at the end of his range. Uh, you know, he has that kind of Taekwondo-esque kind of style and snap to, to his strikes. But if you watch it, he's really efficient. You know, he doesn't waste a lot of movement. Um, so I enjoy his style and I punch a lot like him because I'm tall and I'm rangy and a lot of our power comes from the snap and the whip of our punches, not necessarily, you know, being, um, super athletic when we fight, but, um, just maintaining that, that sweet stroke, you know? And so, um, I'm a big fan of Connors and his style. So I actually, um, enjoy watching him fight. Yeah, I'm a big fan as well. You know, a lot of people, they get blinded by the talk, which I find very entertaining. But, I mean, the way he fights, I mean, he's the real deal. So I'm glad that, you know, a striker like yourself can appreciate that. Now, after you fought uh, George Sullivan, you get the call to take on a Kiwi in New Zealand. I'm talking about Robert Whitaker, And one doesn't simply go to New Zealand to fight Robert Whitaker. And this is a guy that was about to take on Bisbing. And, in my opinion, I thought he was going to go out there and knock out Michael Bisbing. 
And, uh, you know, he knocked out Brad Tavares in under a minute. You go three rounds with this guy toe-to-toe, and, you know, not, no one has done that yet. So what was it like, you know, striking with uh, Rob Whitaker for three rounds? It was fun, man. You know, I got to test myself. Uh, that just showed you uh, some of the um, ability that I have. You know, the, the side that the UFC saw when they signed me was that I had a lot of potential, and I still have that potential. You know, I'm still growing into that. I'm so young in the sport and young in my in my life that um, – you know, I went out there and I put on a good, a good, a good show, a good fight, and I think that's what, the reason why the UFC gave me my third fight. You know, even though I had lost two, so um, you know, sometimes it's not wins or losses; it's how you perform. And I felt I performed really well in that fight. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, proud of my performance. You know, even though I lost, um, Rob is smashing people at 85 now. So uh, people always message me like, "Hey, man, Rob didn't do that to you," and I'm like, "No, he did it." You know, and uh, even after the fight, me and Rob talked and we understood that we put on a great fight and I'm a big fan of his now, you know, with his career going forward and I, I wish him nothing but the best. Yeah, man. And, you know, that was a great fight like you mentioned. And just talk about, you know, the clash of styles because, you know, you are a ruthless sports striker and he kind of has a little bit of an awkward kind of karate style. So just talk about what it was like, you know, with his distance and the way he'd leap in and out. What was it like dealing with that? I'm going to fight with a lot of guys that um, train kind of like that, but... Um, Robert has that pop, man, that natural strength, and, and, and that dude hits like a fucking Mack truck. So, uh, you know, I have to pay attention to that lead hand, that hook, that check hook, that left hand of his is really dangerous. He actually came out and threw a bunch of kicks versus me, which was not um, typical of his style. Um, but it was an awesome fight, man. I felt like the style was good. You know, we both had a little bit different of a, a flair, a bounce, a swag, and we were throwing spin techniques and and everything like that. So I think that was a very entertaining fight for the fans and, and, and for everyone who likes, you know, striking. So I think that was just a good fight all the way, all around. Yeah, it was absolutely an entertaining fight. So, you know, obviously you fought in New Zealand. And, you know, I talked to my boys, uh, James Vick and Louis Smolka, and they took on an Australian in Australia, you know, New Zealand, their neighbors. So, you know, did the did the hometown crowd, did they respond well to you after the fight? Did they welcome you or was it hostile? What was it like? Because my boys, James and Louis, they had a great time, man. Dude, they're cool as hell down there, man. I had a great time. They showed me plenty of love before the fight like I was walking around just walking around on the street me and my coach we like to get out and just you know see the place and so you know people who knew I was a fighter they're coming up to me telling me good luck they wishing me the best telling me that they you know they were they were just rooting for a good scrap you know what I mean so they showed a lot of love and then after the fight they were buying me beers and stuff so uh they were cool with me uh good crowd they they you know accepted all of the fighters really really well and they turned out in some big numbers so yeah man it was an awesome time down in New Zealand yeah, man, and last thing on that fight, you know, you see him KO dudes in the first round in his past couple of fights, and what's it like knowing that he couldn't do that to you? I mean, you, you got to smile a little bit when you see him go out there and knock out guys like Brad Tavares in 30 seconds. Yeah, I'm just, I tweet at him afterwards like, man, you fucking knocking these dudes out, you know, but for me, um, I take pride in my defense. You know what I mean? I've lost fights before, but no one's ever beat me up. No one's ever had me. I've never been cut in a fight. You know, I've never been. Um, most I've had is like bloody nose, a black eye, something like that. But I don't I don't get hit a lot. That's just my style. It's an intelligent style and I'm very defensive minded and I'm really offensive minded as well. But um, I don't want fight of the night. I want knockout of the night. So I make sure that my defense is always on point. And, uh, you know, that's a big part of my fight style. So, um, you know, I, that just reassured me that my defense is pretty good. And you know, I still was offensively striking with Robert, so 
um, just a good overall fight for me and, uh, you know, a good place to assess where I was at. Absolutely, man. And, you know, then you get the call to fight Paulo Tiago. And, man, it's too bad you had to pull out of that fight because that would have been such a good victory for you. But, I mean, you got to find a silver lining in everything. You know, so, I mean, were you able to take some positives from that fight not happening or did it just suck? Kind of just sucked, man. I knew that Paulo was on his way out. Um, that would have been a, a, a good fight for me to showcase my skills. I don't think he would have been able to take me down. Um, I think I knock him out um, handily. So, uh, you know, but I was hurt. You know, I had an injury. Um, I got to spend some time in Vegas, work with the Ultimate Fighter, with my teammates and stuff. Um, got to get some experience like that. And then, um, you know, I got to fight Eric Silva, which, you know, showed me that I had made – I made. I thought I had made progressions in my, in my jiu-jitsu, and I just figured out – I just found out that I wasn't as comfortable on the ground as I thought I was um, as far as, like, in, live in-fight action. Um, I can roll and grapple with the best of them, you know, as far as in the gym. But um, it's something else when it's live and on the ground. And I've just felt like um, that's something that I needed to work on. And so, um, you know, just another learning experience there in that fight. Well, let's backtrack a little bit because once again, you're taking on a guy in his hometown. And he comes out there with a big spinning back kick and immediately you counter with a straight right. And, dude, I felt that straight right. So, you know, do you think that you changed his game plan with that straight right? Or do you think his game plan was initially to take you down? Um, I think a lot of people's game plan is to take me down. Even if they're strikers, I don't think they necessarily want to strike with me. Um, with my background and where I train at, they understand that 99.9% uh, .9 of the time they're going to be at a disadvantage. Um, so um, I figured he would try to wrestle me at some point, but I didn't think it was going to be that early. Um, that back kick was a little bit cheap, if you ask me. He went to go touch hands, and then he did the he did the back kick off the touch of hands, and so I punched him in the back of the head when he was spinning. Um, and then he went for the takedown um, immediately. But I mean, he had just fought Matt Brown. He didn't shoot takedowns against Matt Brown, so um, that tells you there was some steam behind that right hand, and he he felt like he needed to uh, get the fight to the ground. So um, you know, just positive, negative. You know, show that um, you know I. I hit pretty hard and I had to make, you know, I made someone adjust their game plan, but then I should have been smart enough to um, keep the fight on my feet and, and not go on the ground where he was obviously comfortable. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a good learning experience and you know, was he, was he like super heavy on top or what? Cause I mean the guy, you know, he is a good black belt. I've seen him tap out a lot of guys with some very interesting submissions. So, I mean, what, what, was it just, was it more of like, you know, it, was it more of your bad or was it just him being that good? No, it was me making a bad mistake. I made a dumb, I made a white belt move, and I, I turned the wrong way um, when defending something, um, his first submission attempt, and it led me to be, end up in something else. And then um, I defended it the way that I've defended it in the gym a bunch of times, but he was really, really strong, and he, he, got that, uh, he got it locked up pretty tight before I can really hook underneath my arm and pull my shoulder down away from my neck. Um, so I had no choice. I could either tap or go to sleep, and um, I decided to go to sleep. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, just a mistake and uh you know it's just it's just something that I was able to go back to the gym and allow myself to be put in that position again and just make sure that I was you know working on the defense of um, um some of these submissions a little bit more and um I just put my focus back on grappling a lot and um you know I'm going to be doing some tournaments and stuff uh, moving forward but I'm going to showcase my grappling in some of my fights too because um I do have good grappling I just haven't showed it um my abilities fully in fights yet for sure man and you know you talked about how when you were in New Zealand, they were really cool. But, man, Brazil's a totally different ballgame. You know, obviously they were screaming, Eu vamo air, which means you're going to die. But aside from that, I mean, were they wanting to take pictures or were they, like, just not cool the entire time? 
No, they, was, they weren't very cool. I think uh, where we were at, I think it was like Bersaia, St. Paulo or whatever. For the most part, they weren't very cool, man. They were kind of just dickheads about a lot of the stuff to a lot of the American fighters and guys from um, outside of uh, Brazil. Um, even at some of the stores, like they wouldn't talk to you. They wouldn't try and help you until you pulled out like your money. And they're, then they're like, oh, OK, you know, I'll help you. Um, they weren't very friendly where we were at, but luckily I had some good people around me. Um, Ed Suarez from the, he was down there with Leoto, so uh, he helped me out and um, you know translated some stuff for me and made sure that I was taken care of. So um, it, it went all right, but they were definitely not nice like the Kiwis. <laughs> yeah, you know Ed Suarez, he's a great guy, and uh, you know the Brazilians are very passionate people, man. And so you got to respect them for that. But you know it's interesting because in the United States, if if, uh, you know, a foreigner came here and we were screaming, you're going to die, it would be a pretty bad look, dude. But over there, it's, like, totally acceptable. So, you know, it's, it's quite an interesting dynamic. And, you know, one other thing I want to talk to you about on that topic is, you know, obviously you mentioned that, you know, Robert Whitaker, he was a totally cool dude. What about Eric Silva, though? Was there kind of an arrogance there or what, or was there a mutual respect or what? Um, It was a pretty mutual respect. He doesn't really speak very, very much English or very good English at all, but... um. Whenever we encountered each other, it wasn't a bunch of staring contests or, or pissing matches or anything like that. Uh, when he saw me, you know, we give each other a good nod and keep walking. And I never felt like there was any disrespect from him or anything like that. But, um, yeah, he seemed like an okay dude. I, I, don't, I didn't really care to talk to him, but um, he seems like he was a decent enough person. Cool, man. Yeah, so uh, I got to ask you about – my man CM Punk, you know, obviously he trains at Rufus and, you know, one thing I really like about this guy is that, you know, he's got such support for the team. I can tell by his tweets. I can tell by the fact that, you know, he really seems like the kind of guy that cares about his teammates and he's really kind of, you know, it, it's become like a family for him. Am I, am I correct? Am I on the right path or am I just making this shit up? No, man, he's a good dude, man. He's a down to earth, uh, really genuine person. The first day he came in the gym, you know, he made sure to shake everyone's hand, introduce himself. Um, he's not a cocky person. Um, he doesn't walk around like he's got a bunch of money or anything like that, man. He, he got right in the gym. Um, he didn't make a big deal about, you know, him being who he was. He came in and he earned his respect by, uh, working hard and training with everybody and, you know, just giving him, putting his best foot forward. And so, um, that's what drew me to him. And, uh, you know, I wasn't so big on it at first, but, you know, after meeting him and talking to him and training with him and seeing the, you know, the day and he was putting into the sport I understand that he you know he's just a man who wants to test himself and how could you fought somebody um like that so um he's just a really good dude genuine person and so um Phil CM Punk will forever be you know someone I consider a friend absolutely man and that's really cool to hear that he has that kind of mentality you know for me personally I'm not a fan of pro wrestling but I have seen interviews with that guy and he just seems like First of all, he's very intelligent, and second of all, you know, he just seems like a genuinely good person, so I am a fan of CM Punk. Now, you know, after you fought Eric Silva, you know, you rebounded recently, and you knocked a guy out in the very first round. Now, unfortunately, man, I couldn't find tape, so I can't sit here and talk about the beautiful techniques you did, but just, you know, tell us how that fight went down. Uh, similar, um, kind of to the George Sullivan fight, you know, I mean, I... Um, a lot of clinch work, hand fighting, um, led to a really big elbow. Um, elbow started to put him down, or a knee set up the elbow, and that elbowed right off the knee. Um, he was already kind of going down, followed up with a big hook cross, and uh, he went pretty limp, man, and the ref had to jump in and save him. So, uh, 
you know, just my aggression. I'm, I'm getting back to my, my original fight style and that's just a lot of aggression. You know, I, um, I'm a bigger, bigger welterweight and I can use my size and my stamina, my, my conditioning to, you know, beat up these dudes. And so I'm going to just start mauling these dudes, you know? So, uh, he was just the first, first victim in a long line of them. Yeah. And props to you for getting back on the horse. You know, that's, I'm really happy to see that. And next up, you're taking on a guy named uh, Taki Ulukepa, I think that's his name. And, <laughs> you know, you're taking him on in Saskatchewan, Canada for Prestige FC. What do you know about this guy besides the fact that he's 4-1? His name is really, really hard for people to pronounce. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Uh, to me, he just he's basic. You know, he's a lefty. He's basic. He's old. Um, other than that, I'm not very, imp- I'm not impressed. You know what I mean? I'm not, nothing changed over here. Hard training, um, diets on point, getting the weight down. Um, you know, I really don't care what he's going to do. Um, he, 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 he cannot and will not beat me. So it, it doesn't matter. Um, I didn't watch any too much tape on him. I watched his last fight. Um, not his last fight because I wasn't televised, but it was for tight and I had a teammate fighting up there. Um, they watched it. They weren't very impressed. Um, so, you know, I watched the fight before that. He let a little undersized 170 kind of bully him and push him around. And uh, I'm a totally different monster, man. So I think he signed up for something that uh, he's going to risk he didn't on October 24th. Yeah, man. You know, obviously this guy has never faced anyone like you. You know, he, he hasn't gone to New Zealand to fight Robert Whitaker. He hasn't gone to Brazil to fight Eric Silva. But you can never underestimate your opponent inside the cage. So just talk about your mindset heading into this fight, Mike. My mindset is what it is all the time, man. I, I treat every fight the same. Um, my mindset is always to go in and, um, you know, dispatch the guys as soon as possible. So I'm going to go in aggressive. Um, I'm going to go in and... And disrespect, um, you know, this guy. I'm gonna disrespect his technique. I'm not gonna respect anything that he can do. Uh, none of that matters to me. Um, he's gonna have to adapt to what I'm doing to him, and I don't feel like he's gonna be able to withstand what I what I'm gonna bring. So um, I see myself knocking this guy out early, and um, if not, then I'll just beat him up for three rounds. Yeah, man, we absolutely look forward to you taking this guy on in Prestige FC. And, you know, obviously, that's what's next for you. But, you know, beyond that, do you think, you know, with this victory, that you're going to get that call back to the big show? Um, I think uh, this fight, you know, a win will obviously put me on a two-fight win streak and it'll put me in the position where, you know, if somebody falls out short notice, um, you know, they still have a lot of rights to a lot of my images and things of like that. So um, it's easier to bring a guy back than it is to sign a new guy. So, um that put me in a position where I could be called back on a short notice type of situation. Um, do I necessarily think beating Taki gets me back? No. Uh, beating Ryan Mashan might have been a, um, a lot better in that aspect for that kind of a, um, you know, that kind of talk. But um, I'm not focused on that. When they call in and come get me, I'll be ready. So um, I'm going to look to get another fight as soon as possible after this. I plan on being healthy. Um, I plan on being, um, you know, still in really great shape. And so I'll be looking to take another fight. Yeah, man. And well, hey, Ryan Mashon pulled out. So, you know, it is what it is, man. And, uh, you know, so I actually want to talk about your boy T-Wood real quick, okay? So he was supposed to fight against Johnny last week. And now here's the thing, man. I run a website called bestfightpicks.com, right? And we're supposed to give our picks for every single fight, right? And Tyron Woodley was a plus 300 underdog against Johnny Hendricks. Now, 
I was gonna take that one unit shot on Tyron Woodley. Now, now let's put it into perspective. My guy makes 170 championship weight, right? The other guy comes in 25 pounds overweight on fight week, but people told me I was crazy for, for wanting to take that shot on T-Wood. What do you think T-Wood would have done to Johnny in that fight? Oh, man, I watched Tyron, man, train so hard, man. That dude was grinding, man. We put in some grueling sessions. I know I paid for it, so Johnny should have paid for it. And uh, I feel like he just would have went out there and got destroyed, and then it would have been something where people couldn't have denied Tyron of being that number one guy and fight for the title, man. Um, that guy's on a different level right now. His mentality and um, the way his body's responding to you know training and things of that nature, man, he's a – He's a freak athlete, and uh, he's going to be ready to, you know, do what he would have did to Johnny to, you know, the next fighter, and I can see him winning the championship. I think he would have knocked Johnny out, to be honest with you. Yeah, man, I just think that, you know, obviously Johnny's such a competitor. I got all the respect in the world for him, but I think at this point in their respective careers, T-Wood would have had the edge. And when you look at, you know about the odds, when you see plus 300 on a guy like Tyron Woodley, you're like, are you kidding me? Because, look. If, if Johnny was a slight favorite, then I'd be like, okay, whatever. But plus 300 on Tyron Woodley, man, I was like, dude, this is a joke. And then obviously the whole weight thing goes down. So, you know, in hindsight, it would have been a really good play on my part. Now, now, what's it like training with a guy like T-Wood? You know, obviously you talked about it earlier, but I mean, the guy's striking is super explosive. So obviously we know about his wrestling, but talk about sparring with him on the stand-up. Um, me and Tyron have a really good um, relationship when it comes to training. Um, we're both guys that understand that uh, we don't get paid to, to slug it out in the gym. So uh, we stay competitive, but we also stay smart in our training. You know, And I think that's why he enjoys training with me. It's because I'm not a guy who feels like I need to prove myself to him. Um, he understands how good I am. I understand how good he is. And so we normally, you know, we go back and forth. We attack each other, but we're also always pushing each other. But um, his striking is something that is definitely up there with his wrestling. And, um, you know, he, he's a really, really tough guy to train with, you know, and that is, is just doing nothing but making me better as a fighter. And I feel like I push him and, uh, you know, I give him looks and make him better as well. Yeah, man, for sure. And real quick, another one of your training partners I want to talk about, you know, talk about your friend Sergio real quick, because this kid, he's real special. You know, a lot of people try to write him off because he lost, you know, not his last fight, but his fight before that. But dude, in that first round, he was looking like a champion. It just seemed like maybe in the second round, he lost his concentration a little bit. But man, when this kid's on his game, he is very special and people forget he's only 22 years old. So, I mean, what's, what's the limit for this kid? I mean, where's his ceiling at? Man, the MMA game is so frugal, man. It's it's crazy. Like the fans in the sport are nuts. Like they 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 go from really really high to really really low, really really fast on certain fighters. And uh, man, Sergio's a beast. That young man trains hard. Um, you know he, I mean, you know, growing up, he just he's just learning some lessons in the cage, man. He's having to grow up in front of everyone's eyes and. You know, a lot of other people at this age are still growing up on smaller shows so they can make these mistakes and it's not such a big thing. But, um, you know, he's Anthony Pettis' little brother. He's, um, you know, this this superb, you know, young man who was brought up to the UFC really, really early. So he's got a lot of eyes on him. But um, that young man's handled it really, really well. He showcased his talents in his last fight by, you know, putting on a clinic against Carriasso. Um, And it's just some things. Yeah, he still has to work on his mentality a little bit, but that comes with maturity and with age. So... Um, you're definitely looking at, at someone who's going to be a future champion in this sport and uh, someone who's going to do very, very big things. 
Did you get that mini mouse thing in California? Oh. Um, you know, shout out to all my sponsors. Um, you know, we have the Wisconsin Athletic Club, Next Level Training Performance Center, Iowa Bison, Mod Cabin, helping me finally start to grow a little bit of a beer, even though I got some patches, but they keep me smooth. <laughs> uh, smuggling Duds, uh, we got DC Vinyl, Family Taekwondo of Champions, um, well, so my Combat Corner, Grit Mouth Guards, um, shout out to Prestige FC um, for this great opportunity, Cord, Scott Kerr, and all those guys, man. Um, thanks to all my teammates at Rufus Sport and everyone helping me get ready for this fight. Um, to my family and uh, my mom, you know, I love you guys. And uh, my family that I'm sitting with to the, right now, and they're watching me do this interview with you. We're watching the RFA fights as well. But, um, you know, thank you to everybody who supports me and uh, all of my fans, followers out there. Um, keep supporting me, and uh, we're on the way back up. So uh, stay stay on the bandwagon, and let's get rolling. For sure, and you heard it here first live on Half the Battle. And I want to thank all the fans for tuning in. Obviously, find me on SoundCloud, at Best Fight Picks. Find me on YouTube. Find Half the Battle on Twitter, at Best Fight Picks. And, you know, I want to thank you guys so much. And, Mike, after you get this victory, we'd love to have you back on the show anytime, bro. Man, I'm definitely coming back. I appreciate it. After I knock this kid out, we can talk about something else. Have a nice, fun interview talking about some of these uh, crazy topics that go on in our sport. One more shout out. Shout out to the reason why I'm back in Iowa this weekend. Jason Chambers getting married to his lifelong partner, um, Brittany Dyer. So um, I'm standing up in the wedding tomorrow. Um, you know, congratulations to those guys, and uh, it's going to be a good time tomorrow. Yeah, congratulations to them, and thank you very much, Mike. You have a good one, bro. Thank you, man. You too.